This is Regenerative Skills, the podcast helping you to learn the skills and solutions to create an abundant and connected future. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher. Hey there, everybody, and welcome back. So today's episode is going to build on a couple of concepts that I've been exploring from different perspectives. The first is that of the power of community, and the second is different scales of regeneration. Now in this episode, I am joined by my good friend and mentor, Verushka Kierkegaard. Based in the Netherlands, Verushka is the co-founder of United Designers International and head of their project management. Her combined experience and knowledge of aesthetics, nutrition, health, and communications brings a multidisciplinary expertise to the design table. She is seasoned in large-scale project management and brings her skills to the larger ecological canvas with site science-based regenerative planning and design from adaptive food production, residential and commercial contexts, to agroforestry and municipal green space. Now, the aspect of community that Verushka and I explore in this episode is focused on the inner workings and the collaborations of United Designers International, the regenerative design consortium that she co-founded with Dan Halsey. Their organization breaks the mold of most of the conventional businesses which try and hoard market share, or even freelancers that try to do everything themselves so that they don't have to divide up the money that's coming in. Now instead, we explore reasons why bringing in as many people on a project is not only good for the project, but also for the people who are involved in the work. United Designers is also world-renowned for working on high-profile and complex projects. Verushka sheds light on the challenges of working on large initiatives with massive investments and many multiple stakeholders, and the way that she has learned to navigate those complexities and those broad considerations. Now, if you've ever wondered what the inner workings of a proposal to the UN for regional scale regeneration, or the process of ecological design for a massive estate looks like, then this is the episode for you. And so I'll hand things over now to Verushka Kierkegaard. Veruska, it's great to connect with you again. I know that you and I chat fairly regularly, but now we're actually going to go into depth about some of the background of your work, and, and I'm super excited. Thanks for being here. Absolutely, and thank you for having me. Big fan, very excited. <laughs> Look, let's start from the beginning. There's a lot that you have to share about your journey into regenerative design and the work that you do. Tell me mm -hmm. how it all started. How did this interest first blossom in you? It's a very long journey, so it's always a challenge to make it brief. But I think it was imprinted from my early youth because I grew up on the farm of my father and my grandparents in Denmark. And my dad also had a big nature reserve. So I was always out in nature and we had to do survey surveys. And yeah, I think already then I understood the responsibility of the human interaction of nature, and I had the great appreciation for it. However, my life took a complete detour because after that, it was a lifelong of travels and living in several countries. And always being very inquisitive and entrepreneurial, I also explored many fields of work in my adult life. So most of my life I spent as an interior decorator. Mm -hmm. And I moved on to renovations and restorations in the best possible time. So in the Netherlands, but also internationally, I was privileged to work at the within the highest, or I should say high-end projects. 
but it gave me heaps of experience in large-scale projects, in management, executions, working with people across borders in many fields. So that was the start. But then around 2009, my life took quite a dramatic turn and it forced me to reevaluate my professional life. And I went on an exploration. And I think it was that inner child that came back in my mid-30s and it nudged me to come back to my source, to my origins, to come back home, as it were. And uh, I stumbled upon the um, permaculture and regenerative practices and ecosystem restoration. And that was a big game changer. So that's how it came, but it wasn't before 2014 that it was clear to me that was my new road. I didn't know how, but I did know that was my new goal. That's super exciting. I've heard from so many people that I've interviewed on this show that taking a permaculture course or being introduced to that design concept was a real turning point for them. And I remember how impactful it was for me as well. And I'm curious how you started to draw from all of your experience of interior design and working, like you said, with high-end projects, your love for ecology and this new awareness of permaculture design. How did that come together into the work you do now? Oh, that's a nice one. Yeah. First of all, I think that, yes, all of us, we have the PDCs in common as the eye opener, but I also have to mention that I think that for myself and a lot of my colleagues, some form of I'm saying this respectfully, trauma or dramatic instance in life <laughs> has also preceded that growth. It's like we are forced to come back to what matters, to the root, to the earth, to the soil, literally and figuratively speaking. So I find that quite interesting too. But how do I, did I take, I had a restaurant, I was working in large-scale project management, setting up businesses. So all these different fields all these di different disciplines were aspects that I could take with me into this new world of ecosystem restoration, mainly in the project management section to start out with because I was a junior. I had a lot to learn. And I think my main driver personally, because I had a lot of experience working with high-end clients across borders, uh, I felt there was already a large representation present in the homesteads, in the farming area, but we also have a lot of wealthy or not wealthy, but at least estate owners with a lot of land where there is a different way of communicating. There's a different energy. They have different values. And that was my playing field. So I really hoped to be able to integrate those two, to build that bridge for that niche of new clients and, and, and spread the word, so, so to speak. And you're such a good example of something that I love to highlight on this show, which is how useful seemingly unrelated backgrounds can be when people find a way to apply this into regenerative design and like oh. all of your experience in project management and bumping shoulders with people at this different echelon that many of us don't have access to, but that you interacted with as clients very regularly and being able to bring an ecological perspective, a regenerative yeah. 
perspective into this type of work and this type of clientele. And it, it just reinforces for me that everybody's experience and skill set and viewpoint is valuable when looked at through this positive lens. Very much so. Also, because I believe that we have to understand sometimes we can, I encounter a lot of young, very well-meaning driven designers how should I say, completely drenched in this inspiration of regeneration and permaculture principles. And it has a certain energy and way of communicating, which I understand. But I think what I can bring to the table is the understanding that one time you're talking to a illiterate farmer in Haiti, the other time you're talking to a wealthy estate owner or a stakeholder connected to a bank. We have to understand that it is. it has a huge benefit to understand that there's a different kind of communication necessary, a different kind of vocabulary, a different kind of energy that comes to the table when dealing with these different kind of peoples. And I think it's instead of wanting freedom for all and we can just be ourselves and that attitude, I think there's something very beautiful about the adaptation in respecting each other's differences, cultures, beliefs, status, all that to a certain degree. And that is where I do feel that I have something to contribute to my team because we, we can make like these templates about how to communicate within certain cultures and beliefs. We can, we actually even compose our teams to suit that specific region because there can be certain sensitivities and I think it's our role to adapt and respect that. And then we get the best results. I think you described that extremely well. And I've had the pleasure of seeing that communication ability and adaptation in person as we've explored trying to do some projects together. Now, yeah. before we go deeper into that, let's go a step back and tell me about how your work with United Designers International came about and a little about the organization itself. Oh, yeah. And that's a fun one because it was actually, <laughs> it was born out of frustration, uh, mainly my own, <laughs> I think, because many of us, when we venture into this road, we spend many years and incredible amounts of money for our courses, our trainings, certificates, the internships, the experience. Very often we strive to study under all these well-known big names that we all know. But then you do, and then you're left on your own. You have your certificate, and there you are. And most teachers don't even have their own succession plan. There is so little sharing and collaborating. Mm -hmm. And in these days in general, there's so much efforts in teaching people permaculture or other regenerative skill sets online or offline. But then the struggle to implement the learnings and keeping their heads up starts. And I was caught in the same. I had spent almost eight years working parallel marketing work to refinance my studies when I was in my mid-30s. That's late. And Don't say that. I'm in my mid-30s. <laughs> no, but that's late. And yeah. then huge amounts of money. And everything you earn, nothing else could go. Everything went to trainings. And then there you are. And then in 2019, I started working with my uh, partner, business partner and co-founder, Daniel Halsey. And he was exceedingly getting into more and more larger projects, also more and more international. 
and was constantly challenged by having to compose the adequate teams and scale up. So we saw this as a big gap and an opportunity where emphasizing that learning in the practice and good mentorship is what we need and to collaborate so we could scale up. So that's where it started. But we also realized that when people have more opportunity to practice while earning a living and being mentored at the same time, the progress is going much faster to make a better living and have time and space to progress on the land, but also to help each other and work on bigger goals. So we wanted to bring all these different skill sets together, both entry-level designers and senior designers with their experience, and then make our collective work better, faster, and keep on learning, because that's what we do. We have to adapt. And another different or important aspect is also in, by doing so, the created resources and assets, because everything that we're doing is new very often. That was shared in a sh or is shared in a safe environment. So it doesn't get lost, but it gets multiplied and accelerated. And now that's, that's a lot there. Can you tell me how that has actually played out since the founding of the organization? And maybe give me some examples of these principles that you've mentioned up until now, how they look like in practice. I think the most noticeable is that all of us, as I said, we're not a company, we're not employers, we're colleagues, we're all colleagues, we all have mm -hmm. a same say. Dan and I may be the drivers, but after that it stops. Everything is done collectively and with voting and check-ins and what have you. But what was very noticeable is so that from origin, we are all independent contractors. And in this discipline and in every other, when you're an independent contractor, you also have to be your own bookkeeper and or accountant and marketeer and salesperson. And it is impossible for everybody to have all these skill sets in-house. And besides that, even if you have them, that's not what you learned for. We want to do the job. So by uh, connecting these forces, we saw that we could actually, some are very good in graphic inputs, others are good in, in, in branding, things that are not literally related to our work, but support the identity of the designer so that they can do their work and become better and get more focused on that. So that has proven to be an incredible support network to accelerate people in their growth and in their identity. And what I love most about it is that they find more time and budget to keep on learning because ev I think every single one of us, almost every year, we're like, oh, I'm going to do that course. Oh, I'm going to do that training. Oh, I'm gonna. so we all share that same energy of growth. And behind that, we try to support each other in the trivials, but much necessary efforts to conduct a business. What I love about this description here is that I had independently come to many of the same conclusions in my own design and implementation work is that I am becoming the bottleneck of my capacities, right? Exactly. I can't do all of those functions that you mentioned that are necessary to running a, an effective business. No, I, I can't have, I can't wear all of those hats and no. it's not what I got into this to do. And I was actually at a point where I was looking to form a similar type of cooperative or a collective yeah. between people that I had already been collaborating with. And this is when I, I started to find yeah. Dan first and then you later yeah. as we moved here yeah. to Europe. 
And I was like, oh, I'll just join with them. They're way ahead of the idea that I had. And quite frankly, I've thought about it so many yeah. more ways that, that I have plus bring skill sets and experience that I don't have. And, and yeah. it was really inspiring to see how far that you have brought it to this point already. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Now, with that said, because the abilities contained within this collective, you guys have access to some really high profile and what we might call large scale projects, whether that's scale in the amount of land under management or scale within the budget that's able to be implemented, or even just scale with the amount of stakeholders that are involved yeah. in something like this. And it expands all of that. Tell me what it is like to work on this scale of projects in ecological design, because there are differences, like you said, in the type of people who tend to run these things or come to you with requests, the perhaps the vocabulary or the attitude by which these things are managed. Maybe give me an idea of the, the patterns that you see that maybe differ from what most people think of as a little homestead style or permaculture garden type of projects. Oh, first of all, one has to be highly adaptive. And I think most of all, it's key to be an incredibly good listener. Many times, more so than not, we enter into a request, whether it being from an NGO or a client, a private client or a state or farmer, and discover that they don't really know what they want. That's a big one. Furthermore, I think it comes with a great responsibility because we are designing for generations. A garden layout or design might be taken entirely out after five years because there's a new owner and he doesn't like the petunias. Uh, but we have the responsibility to design for future generations, and that is no joke. We have a commitment to go beyond just the ecological considerations also social, economic, inspirational. That's also why, by the way, we love working with the Four Returns framework. I don't know if it's a topic that you know of or that's I've been spoken I've worked closely with Common Lands in the past because <clears throat> I was part of the ecosystem restoration team. Yeah. And yeah. though I haven't covered the Four Returns framework on this podcast, maybe you could give me just a quick overview of what it covers. Yeah, the Four Returns is literally the return of inspiration. So that is about giving people hope and a sense of purpose. The social return, which is about bringing back jobs, education, and the social connections. The natural return, which is restoring biodiversity, soils for healthy and resilient landscapes. And the financial return, the resilient long-term sustainable income for the communities. So I'm not saying we're not for returns professionals, but it's a framework which when we work in the very large landscapes that are either involved or connected or have an influence on larger communities, uh, it is of great value to have almost as a cheat sheet beside you. And also to, for us, especially when we're forming a team, contemplate on which professionals we might want to add. Is there an agronomist necessary? Is there somebody that can actually write uh, specific business plans on this cropping system or whatever it is. So I find it an incredibly powerful tool, but also very important to make the proper transition that we're all striving for. Hmm. And what other aspects are unique in working at this larger scale? 
Very often, the, the the fact that we have multiple stakeholders, so we have to navigate different levels of persuasion. So many types of approach, very adaptive again, and often a lot of red tape. That is, in this day and age, incredibly frustrating. I don't need to tell you about the red tape in Spain when we're no. talking about any measures of, of earthworks or water retention landscapes. So those, myself, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a big one. Otherwise, I think we are currently, I can feel more and more so up against some kind of struggle against the reliance on tech. That's an evolution that you, that at least we see happening a lot. And I think the, the, the main annoyance is also the amount of money that goes around in those realms as if it's nothing and we struggle just to make a living and that, that can be quite infuriating at times. But also within projects because they want to introduce certain kind of technical solutions. And that specific debate on regeneration and ecosystem restoration through technology we feel it does parallel the global dependency on chemical fertilizers, insecticides, and GMO. I know it's a very sensitive topic, but it's a path well known, and we know the pitfalls. Yeah. And we are quite, as a collective, we're quite adamant in trying to change this reliance and empower farmers as independent stewards of their land through low-tech solutions and community-taught approaches because they offer so many more benefits and it reduces environmental impact. It revives the sustainable farming practices and it fosters the self-sufficiency that we are looking for. Um, and this specific shift enhances the ecological resilience, but also nurtures the local knowledge. And we need to make these communities the guardians of their own ecosystems and independent of this corporate reliance, but that's an iffy topic. It is, it's very tricky. And the few projects that I've worked on in the scale or with the types of budgets and stakeholders that you've mentioned have been difficult to navigate for this same reason, right? A lot of yeah. the pitfalls that you've mentioned there, maybe we can go into a, some of them uh, in concrete examples. And like, I've always, even sometimes in smaller scale projects struggled to communicate the value and the necessity of looking beyond the borders of the land itself and at these community dynamics, these social aspects that are tricky to monitor and to quantify oftentimes in how important they are to not only informing the design them itself, but also for it to have a viable future beyond the capacities of the owners or the stakeholders involved. How have you managed to navigate that? With, uh, yeah. with your communication skills and, and experience so far? Because I know this is something that you really push for, but then yeah. so not everybody's very open to expanding the no. scope of what they wanted yeah. to include these things. It's tricky, Oliver. It's tricky because in certain situations, first of all, again, as I said, we are not a company. We're not employers. We are, UD is the team. It's everybody that works there. And when, you when we have these big discussions, we actually have group meetings and we discuss the ethics and our goals. So these are also examples. When we have been involved in projects where they want to integrate certain tech 
or also I think maybe an even better example because we just discussed this topic in 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 many cases we have been approached by big funds big NGOs that want to do these huge landscapes they have all the terms all the strategies all in place but basically it's driving towards creating another monoculture which will be dependent on an international export yeah Give me an, an example here, because I think people yeah. would love to see how this actually plays out. I can't call names, of course, but I, no, I, certainly. it's just, again, making a certain cash crop. So creating that we, we do our site assessment as we want. We do the water design as needed. We do the biodiversity edges. So they're checking all the boxes that we know of the proper systems for that specific area or bioregion or biome or whatever, what it may be. But the end result is striving to support, in a very green way, a very large surface of one single crop, which an entire community is going to be relying on, but depending again on an international export, because there is no interest whatsoever in that specific crop in that region. Yeah. And I can think to some examples that I've worked in at, at these levels yeah. where it's like, okay, yeah. all of these, like you said, ecological and social boxes are ticked yeah. Yeah. all towards creating an avocado plantation or exactly. a coffee yeah. plantation, which the yeah. value there is yeah. the commodity export, which yeah. let's face it, those go in fads. Those yeah. are very susceptible to market fluctuations. Yeah. And we have seen historically many boom and bust cycles that yeah. oftentimes even the owners of those do not feel the full implications of. But, yeah. you know, the disasters tend to trickle down a lot faster than, yeah. than the profits. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And basically what it entails is at the end of the day, if that system fails with all this investment of time and money and efforts, if it fails, there's still no food on the table yeah. within this community. That's one. And the second is drawing from that knowledge as a team, going back to what I said, we discussed it as a team. We have come to a point where we're like, okay, dare to say no. Hmm. We have come to a point where when we are presented with those kind of situations, we also had another, I have another one with somebody who wanted to do a large landscape in Eastern Europe and all regenerative corn, by the way, community involved, but then they had all these surrounding fields where they were doing other commodity crops and they were going to continue with a Roundup spray. Dare to say no. Yeah. Uh, so I think within our team, it's a big one. We have let go of some huge projects because we were like deep in our hearts we cannot stand by this as a solution for what we are striving for yeah and yeah it's hard especially when you're struggling for your livelihood from everybody in a team but sure. yeah i fortunately we have a team now where we share that same belief and that those same ethics to me what this illustrates is that you can tick the boxes like we mentioned. We can meet the requirements for the carbon credits or for the biodiversity stamp or whatever new sticker is on your food packaging and really miss the point, right? It's not representative of a paradigm shift of just, I mean, it comes back to doing less bad. We're still producing yeah. things that are 
extractive in ways that are not necessarily reflected in the business model on its own, but yeah. have repercussions in the community, the stability of a local region, and yeah. are not really at all touching in the potential of what could be realized when we continue to look at these through the same types of business models that got us into this situation in the first place, just cleaned up and polished a little bit yeah. with a little green paint, right? Yeah, exactly. Very true. So let's turn this around too, because though I'm sure you've had to say no to a couple of projects like this, and I'm sure that was difficult as well. I know yeah. you have more stories of perseverance through what looks like an unambitious or uninspiring project at the beginning and helping to broaden the scope and the considerations for what is being designed for and implemented to really include the full community, ecological, social spectrum where that was not a priority at the beginning. Can you give me some examples? Yeah. As I said in the beginning already, a lot of times we get projects where whether they are private or corporate or NGO, they have a vision, but when it comes down to the details, they don't really know what they want. Not exactly, anyway. And in other cases where they do know what they want, after we've been in there for a thorough assessment of the land, a site assessment, and also assess the resources, both ecologically, socially, economically, we have to tell them um, a different truth or tell them something they weren't expecting. So those are both challenging, but also I find personally, I find them <laughs> incredibly exciting. I like mm -hmm. those. I don't, I, I don't like the cookie cutter trajectories. I like it when there's a challenge in there. And so we have some clients, they come in and very often uh, in the private sector, especially the high end, where personally I'm quite involved in that to try to spread the word. And they usually come in driven by financial reasons, because also all the big villas and estates in the Mediterranean are experiencing all of a sudden the faucets are being closed or the bills for the water are way too high or there's no water at all. Yeah. Or there's a die-off. And we had a private project on Ibiza where that was the case. And they had this beautiful orchard, I think basically for aesthetic reasons, because they were not really there to actually eat or do anything with the produce, but it just looked nice. But the bills were just getting worse and worse. And the trees were dying. It was all chemically managed, of course, with, with all the wrong inputs. And they brought us in for financial reasons. But taking them on that journey of exploration of cause and effect of their choices. And then you have to have a long, how do you say that? A long, not a long breath, but you have to be very patient because there's also, there's always this transition period where they are going along, but they're very skeptical because they want results, especially in the private sector. Yeah. Till that first day when you start saying, oh, this year we had less die off in trees. Oh, my. And then a year later, half the water was used for irrigation and they are weaning off the chemicals and there's better produce. And all of a sudden they understand that they have a new narrative that when they boast with their harvest tables for their big soirees, they have organic oranges and almonds and what have you. And that's where you get that. 
it's a beautiful energy where you see things shift. And then all of a sudden from skeptics, they become advocates of our work. So I think that's, yeah, that's personally, that's one of my favorite playing fields. You've said this to me before, like, it doesn't matter what your initial motivations are. If no. it is aesthetically driven, or if you are just trying to save money or looking for a financial return, but it has more to do with how open you are and a willingness to end up in a holistic understanding of how that is one of the results that can be achieved as almost a symptom of a more healthy ecosystem that connects with the entirety that it's connected to. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's, again, going back to the beginning where we talked about being able to adapt in vocabulary and in approach of your clients and your approach. It's the same in acknowledging the reason why people come to you. Some are horrible stories of devastation and famine. We also have those. We have, we've done a model farm on, in Iraq, a Serbian refugee camp. That is of a complete different order to the estate holder that is incredibly pampered, but worried about the bills and everything in between. Yeah. And I think, and that's also what excites me about creating United Designers as diverse as possible. We need all of these different peoples that are able to communicate within those different fields in the way that's most suitable, in knowledge, in vocabulary, in culture, in beliefs even. When we work in countries with other beliefs that are very different from Europe, I try to create a team that is fitting to support that so everybody feels comfortable because we have one goal and one goal only, and that is to serve the land and the community the best possible. Leave your ego and your prejudice at home. Yeah, and I know that's been one of your main motivations to expand the team as well so that we can favor local yeah. knowledge and expertise whenever possible and right. increase or reduce travel bills and yeah. outside influence when we have appropriate people. Yeah. Only through this collaborative concept can something like this really be possible. Because okay. what you do see a lot of is people and the traditional way of doing business in most cases, trying to eat up as much market share as possible trying to control a sector so that clients really only have the option to come to you, whether you're the right choice or not. And goes along with a larger trend that I'm starting to see, especially within these regenerative fields, that the rising tide lifts all ships and sharing work, bringing in outside expertise when that's more appropriate or knowing when your own capacities are not the appropriate or are too limited and trying to bring this up as a collective endeavor. This is, to me, yeah. one of the biggest potentials of doing work this way. But I would also like to hear from you the challenges of doing it this way, because you know <laughs> the money management is not all centralized. Even though you're all working towards a similar goal, there's a yeah. lot of different approaches on how this is done. Tell me about the things that have been difficult in trying this way of operating as a business. Yeah, yeah, it's a big one. First of all, because I'm, I was saddened for many years by the realization of the lack of collaboration within our field of work on the higher end of things internationally. 
especially in the Netherlands. But that's also a little bit the nature of the Netherlands. We're an incredible country for NGOs and for businesses, but everybody is very competitive and they, pardon my French, they steal the shit out of each other all the time. So it's, and for me, that was tough to acknowledge coming from a place where you feel that we are all understanding the same urgency that we are working in with this, within this field. So that's very contradictive. So I think our main goal first with uh, myself and Daniel Halsey is that we, we test drove as it were with a team trying to see that we share that same belief and we have that same ethic collaboration, we support, we carry each other. And by doing so, we multiply. Sharing is multiplying, right? And that was with a lot of pitfalls. And in the beginning, we had way more members that that dropped off. Uh, so that was a learning curve. But also, I think it's very important for everyone in this line of work doing it or wanting to do it. This is way too important to do on your own. Yeah, that's a really good way. And that is something that people forget because that ego always comes up. Oh, I have all my certificates. I'm going to start my brand. And I'm going to go for, oh, I have a great project. Don't do it on your own ever. <laughs> that is so hard. And trying to, and when we are all financially struggling, especially in the beginning, it's very hard to say, listen, and it's the same thing within United Designers. Listen, if every time this pie comes in, we divide it up in as many small pieces as possible. So we have the seniors or the juniors, and we have the specialists and the ones that tag along. Then we always have a synergy of as many eyes on the ball as possible within the skill sets. You always learn from somebody who's younger and more less capable than you, always, because they hold up a mirror to your thoughts. Mm. Always makes us better. And by making that high in smaller pieces effectively what we want to do is become better and faster and just get more pies so accumulated we will have the same income but that is a big challenge oliver to find people that share that thought i can blessfully say that we have succeeded so far our core team now consists of people that support that belief and that is how we want to move forward so a lot of people with a lot of opportunities and we keep on learning and supporting. And also very important, our resources are not lost because we share them in a common library digitally and we can reach out to each other when we have those small questions on a special species or a growing system or a biome or an animal or a plague. And also, not to forget, it's an incredible joy to be able to work together because this is a very lonely road as a designer when you're out there on your own. I think that's yeah, I can true. confirm all of the things that you just said with my limited experience in working with your team. I've already reached out to members who have given yeah. me incredible insights in the design of my own place, not even just client um, work, but my yeah. own capacities for accessing knowledge and information and perspectives yeah. has grown yeah. massively oh. because of the incredible network that that okay. this cooperative is yeah. has access to. And I will be having more interviews with members of the team coming up. They're already scheduled. So it's something. Yeah, I'm for. so excited. 
And there's incredible developments, which are too early to be talking about. Yet. <laughs> I know things are, are cooking in the background. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. before we go into more of those and building along this idea of a structure that maybe doesn't, it, it isn't optimized for anyone making an entirety of their living off of these projects, yeah. but is really optimized for diversity of perspectives, opportunities mm -hmm. for learning and growth and yeah. collaborative uh, expansion. What does it look like when what you're trying to do is get as many eyes on a project as possible? Mm -hmm. And what have you seen come out of that way of working rather than dividing it as, as narrowly as possible, which is, yeah. let's face it, how most businesses yeah. try and do it. Yeah. Ah. <sighs> The first word that comes up is magic. Mm. I, I'm sorry, it might sound, sound cheesy, but really, it is magic. Lean and mean is really nice. I am an entrepreneur at heart. I'm a, a wheeler dealer. They call me here at home. That's what I used to do. <laughs> and I like to cut to the chase, big win and run. That was my origin. But in this field of work, Getting in this diversity down to the scale that on a project, we can have one person that's good at communication. We can have one person that's really good at graphics. So they support with beautiful graphics of the proposed systems. We have some that can do the QGIS analysis of the topography. We have others that can do the actual hydrology calculations of stream flow and volumes. Then we have another that knows about the region. Then we have another that knows about that specific uh, plant communities in that biome. And because I know we all want to think after all those years of dedication and studies that we know it all, but we don't. Yeah. I mean, we don't. And getting in all those niches, we all come from the back, back, same background, but nobody has all the skills in-house. You get these amazing discussions and we scrutinize each other's ideas to a point that we come to what we feel is the best possible result. And everybody also is in the energy, which is very important because when you we jump from project to project and it takes too long in between that you're out of work. It's horrible. We, we've all been there and we're still there every now and then. Mm. So that's also getting people in the flow. That's important. Staying on it so you get inspired and you keep on learning and challenging each other. And I think another, uh, another challenge by doing so is also when we get into a project to a team and I present a team and I present six or eight people, they're like, oh, my Lord. Oh, that's why you're so expensive. I don't think we're expensive. <laughs> but then that's their logic. They think, oh, this price is based on all these people. And then I have to try to explain them in a proper manner with uh, that, that, listen, this is the way, the process that we choose to do. If you want to do this process with just myself that you approached and my colleague, the price will remain the same. But you will yeah, have a the hours and the attention put into it is the same. There's exactly, just exactly. Yeah. And that's also a shift I'm very passionate about bringing into this line of work, both for the clients as well as our colleagues and students. And I see many, again, especially in the Netherlands, they, I also teach within a, 
an NGO here of food forestry a couple of times a year with a lot of very skilled people in the Netherlands. And then we have our designers and they complete the course and they go off and they're very entrepreneurial here and they start their brand and they have the money and they're marketeers and they're fast. And then they go out there and we're going to do a hundred landscapes. And I'm just you and which army. <laughs> and it makes me very scared because they have the attention. They have the budget. They have the, the attention mainly. Yeah, I find that a very scary trend. Let's go into that a bit more because you and I have both talked about this and I've had many discussions similar to this with other designers, with other specialists on this show of what yeah. happens when that is how you go out and design. Because I will freely admit that's how I started too. I got my permaculture certifications. I learned with other people out on the ground. I started doing projects and I started to recommend and even implement the very yeah. limited scope of things that I had been trained in and started to fit them or started to fit the landscapes and the clients to the toolbox that I was aware of. Yeah. Right. And I think that's very common, especially yeah. when you're new and yeah. the reason why I don't work that way anymore. Let's go through some of the pet peeves that we both have, which are Ooh. very common as these sort of symptoms of yeah. maybe getting started too soon, taking it all yeah. on yourself and yeah. not yeah. bringing in yeah. that perspective. Yeah. Oh, yeah. First of all, before I forget, I want to say that we try because we also teach a course within United Designers, which is, I would say, more or less the most sensible follow up after a PDC. At least that's what we hope, because it's about speaking the, the graphical language at the level of the engineers and the landscaping architects and the high-end project, as it were. So we speak the same language. It's more of a, another toolbox. So within there, we also have a lot of examples of these very young and eager and passionate people. And it's wonderful and I love it. But we also try to say, listen, if you are, because there's a very, there's a big power in passion because with passion often comes sales. Again, here's the entrepreneur. You're able to spread the word. You're able to enthuse people in your surrounding. And all of a sudden the projects are coming in. And we try to always say, listen, guys, take it on, sell it, do it. But know that as UD, there's an entire team here that can back you up. So you can take on whatever scale and whatever size you want, because we're here to help you. Don't go off and make the mistake by doing it on your own mm -hmm. in the beginning. And I'm not saying we're ever the, the biggest solution. There are other companies that also do it in other designers and or in your region. It's just the context of don't do this on your own. And relating to your example, what you just said, I also had the same. I had, I think I did five PDCs. I was an absolute PDC addict. Uh, and I also thought I knew it all. And then I, by chance, and again, feel very privileged and honored by it. I became an ambassador to the ecosystem restoration camps from day one. I, when John Liu announced the concept in the Netherlands, I stepped in. And later on, I was involved in the first project in Murcia. And that's where I was just hit on my nose with the reality that everything I had learned meant absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. I couldn't use it because there was the site specificity. There was so much more detail to that landscape. And that is what changed me. And I also remembered from my past professional life, I didn't put a floor 
layer to bring him in and put up the tiles in the bathroom, right? And it's the same. There is so much intricacy and so much to learn and so many very crucial decisions that we have to make in this line of work. Always try to bring in people that scrutinize you or have more experience or hold up a mirror. Yeah, for sure. So along the lines of what we've been talking about, how have you helped to nurture the growth beyond just getting others involved in the projects that you take on as a cooperative to develop their own skills, to learn more, to generally increase their capacities as designers and collaborators in this space? How have you focused your efforts so far? Yeah, it it always that the question always humbles me because of course I I hope that we have done a lot and I I know we have uh, already reached many goals but there's also a lot of hurdles ahead. I think another approach where we differ from many other organizations that has really helped us in many different ways is also that I chose together with Dan from the beginning that we have full transparency on everything. So that means that from the start till the end, the conversations with clients, the budgets, the division of fees, the scope, the agreements, everything is shared in full transparency and all decisions are collectively made. Thus, every time in those trajectories, people get experiences on how to sell their services. How do you write a contract? How do you go into a conversation with a client? How do you present yourself? How do you market yourself? All those little things that we talked about previously, you feel that it's accelerated because they feel safer and more supported. And then that starts to grow. And what Dan and I made in templates or in contracts in the beginning now get scrutinized because I've got a better idea and we make it better. So again, in conclusion, I feel full transparency within our teams with every single step. I think that's a big one, mm. both of how we want to present ourselves and what we aim for, because it is for growth. It's not for our personal benefit. We are not UD. UD is everybody who is under this roof. And what sort of plans do you have beyond the courses that you've already put out to continue to foster this kind of growth and development of the team that you work with? Our biggest challenge right now, I think, is that I think, I believe that we can conclude that our ideology works. But right now, as for the individual that we spoke about in the beginning, also now as a corporation, unfortunately nowadays you are obligated to spend a certain amount of time on marketing, branding, talks, communications, and all that. And it has been resting on mainly myself, but also some other colleagues, and it's non-invoiceable. Yeah. That's not viable for the long term. We, you can't keep that. So I feel like we're, we're, we're having the nose on, on the glass ceiling we're seeing the growth, it's working, but right now we're very busy in trying to see how can we get either an angel investor or some impact investment or some form of passive income so that we can go into this acceleration and also service all these 
new designers because we have a lot of people knocking on our doors and they want to become members and they want to join. And I have to realize that this one-on-one focus is not going to be possible when we scale up. So that's a big challenge. How are we going to keep our identity with the same value for everybody there, the same energy, the same results, not being able to service doing 10, 15, 20 that we're up against now, but then maybe scaling up to 100. So we need some more pillars, I think, within our team that can carry on that energy and those beliefs and inspiration. And my biggest hope is that in the future, it will accumulate like hubs for different biomes. We've also talked about that. We also already now have quite a few amazing names in the Mediterranean climate. And I hope we can help each other to build more hubs so they are more or less self-sufficient in that sense, but that we can rely on each other from there and just grow and spread because we all know the urgency and this is what we need to do. Yeah, and collaboration is essential to reaching the potential here, like we've been saying to this point. And it's been really interesting to have these conversations with you about what does the foundation and the framework need to be in place to go beyond what your capacities are currently, where you're starting to hit your ceiling of what you're capable of doing with the structure as it is, and how it can be developed into the next phase of growth is not exactly what we're talking about. It's expansion and maybe dissemination or myceliation might be a better way to put it, right? Love it. Yeah. And there are very few examples of collaboratives, cooperatives working like this that we can draw from. So it feels a little bit like uncharted territory. And I would actually love to hear from audience members out there if you have ideas or examples for the types of challenges that we're talking about and opportunities for collaboration. Cause I know there are some incredibly skilled and talented people in the audience as well too. So maybe we'll put a call out there. And before we go, Varushka, can you tell us first of all, how to get in touch with UDI and get to know more about both the services and the collaborative opportunities that are available? Oh yeah. Thank you. So we are on uniteddesigners.org. That's our website. You can find us on Instagram. LinkedIn. And if you want to get in touch with me personally, it is Europe at uniteddesigners.org. And I always try to plan a personal check-in, whether you are a student not knowing what you want to do with your future, or you are a colleague or an investor, I would love to have the talk. So we need to build those bridges. So very welcome. And I highly recommend all of y'all listening to reach out. She has already been such an incredible mentor and a guidance for me in my design and personal work. And I know she has been for so many other people in the network as well. So thank you for all the help you've given me already. And I really look forward to continue to collaborate moving forward. Thank you so much, Anna. It's a pleasure. Thanks once again to Varushka. I'll include all of the links that she mentioned in the show notes for this episode. And I really encourage you to take a look at the portfolio of work that United Designers Collective have done around the world in case you're looking for some real inspiration. 
Now, before we wrap this up, just remember that these episodes are only the beginning of the learning resources, design and coaching services, in-person courses, and interactive community that are available through Regenerative Skills. The Discord server is our free community where you can connect with other like-minded listeners, exchange ideas, stories, tips, and resources, as well as interact with me directly and quite a few former guests from this show. Our Instagram account, at regen underscore skills, is the best place to see the projects that me and the team are working on, both for clients and collaborators, as well as on our own properties. I'll also be announcing the certification courses, workshops, and gatherings that we've got coming up later this year. If you're interested in getting dedicated support for your own project, you can now schedule a free planning session with one of our team members through the request form on our website. You can also find all the links, show notes, and past resources there at regenerativeskills.com. We truly believe that no matter your experience, your knowledge, abilities, resources, or background, you can be a powerful force for regeneration on this planet, and we're here to help you find your path. So as always, remember to keep taking those little steps every day towards a regenerative future, and I'll be right by your side along the way.